Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Steph. And this is... I don't believe it. Really, I better get my beer information as well. Indeed, we're both really rubbish at that. I know. Getting it ready. <laughs> I even like ooh, which to do. Let's start with this one. Which I, to do? I, which which to do? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just going to open it and pour it then. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how we do things. Here, it's ten thirty in the morning, guys. I'm sorry. It's, it's not. It's literally like oh, yeah. one minute to eleven. Right. It's not that bad, guys. Yeah. It's bang on eleven. It's um. I'm not quite awake yet. I think. It's Saturday, by the way. It is Saturday, yeah. Okay, so we have got the Lakes Bruco DDH Pale 4%. So I got this when I was up home in the Lake District. Love it. So this is a juicy, bold, unbalanced pale with intense tropical and citrus impact. It's vegan-friendly, and it has won the Seba Silver Award for Session IPA in 2021. Ah. Um, There's a lot of hops going on in this one. We've got Citra, Mosaic, Citra Cryo, Idaho 7, and Simcoe. So obviously we know about Citra. Yeah. We always know that one. Uh, Mosaic has uh, mango, pine, and citrus flavours. Simcoe is for bittering. Idaho 7 has a juicy tropical and stone fruit flavour. Ooh. These guys are based in Kendall in the Lake District. Um, The owners all actually work together at the Hawkshead Brewery, but they got made redundant during COVID. So they actually just went off and started their own little brewery together. So that's awesome. awesome. I love that. There you go. I love that they're like, you won't stop me making beer. You can try. (laughs) Fuck you, COVID. (laughs) People still need to drink and now more than ever. Yeah. Oh my God, didn't we though? Yeah, we really did. We... (laughs) <laughs> I was on furlough. Every day was a fucking Friday. <laughs> That's great. I just remember going in the supermarket to like get wine and being like, but, but where's all the fucking wine? <laughs> and then me and Mills were like panic buying beer over the internet. Yeah. Everyone else was buying toilet roll and yeah. we're all like, beer, beer. <laughs> we had those beers for ages as well because we bought so many. The selection of beers, though, has vastly improved from COVID because so many people just started brewing at home. Mm. So COVID did have a silver lining, and that is all this beer. (laughs) I suppose thanks, COVID. And thanks, Lakes Brew. Oh, it smells good. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it does. Oh, it smells good. You've done so well on not saying that for such a long time and fighting the edge. Bogger. Oh, that's lighter than I was expecting, actually. Yeah, that's fucking well nice, though. Very bitter on the end, but mm. it's really refreshing, actually. And it does smell really good, to be fair. <laughs> it smells fucking lush. Yeah, I like that a lot. Mm. I've never had a beer that has that much bitterness feel so crisp and clean. Yeah. I can understand why it's award-winning. Yep. It's well good, that. Delicious. Before we get started, I have to give a little quick shout-out to Phoebe. So Sophie, our number two fan, sorry Soph, it's her fiancé, <laughs> who I still sneakily think is our number one fan. I think Phoebe just snuck in there and just hasn't told her, but hey Phoebs, how's it going? Hello Phoebe. Right, do you want to hear a story? I do. Okay, well we're going to talk about the mystery of the St Valentine's Day Massacre. Ooh. So it's a little bit true crimey, but it's more a mystery because we don't know for sure. Yeah. 
And you bet your ass I have lots of conspiracies. Ooh. And I've saved them for the end. Okay. We've accidentally taken a bit of a dive into true crime recently, haven't we? A little bit. It's just been a coincidence, though, that that's what we've done. Yeah. So, we're, I mean, we're not making a big change, guys. This one falls literally on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. So... Had to be done. Yeah. It's the most interesting thing that happened on Valentine's Day, aside <laughs> from when St. Valentine's was martyred. When he valentined. I don't know. Whatever. When that thing happened where he got an, a day named after him. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know. Didn't care enough to write anything about History. it. History! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so, the way I've written it is I've broken it down, giving you, like, the facts, mm-hmm. or what we believe to be the facts. Okay. Uh, and then I want to know what you think Ooh, happened. okay. Well, and then you're going to give me some... Yeah, my conspiracy. Okay. Yeah. Right, okay, let's hear it. I'm excited. I fucking love a mystery. <laughs> okay. So, first off, we're going to talk about the investigative parties involved. Okay. So, first off, there was obviously the Police Detective Bureau. Mm-hmm. Secondly, Cook County State Attorney's Office. So, this is in America then? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's in Chicago. Okay. Um, and then there was a third party, which was Herman Bunderson's jury. So, the Cook County Coroner, Herman... Bunderson put together a jury of six highly respected citizens to conduct their own investigation. Oh. There was a, a massive lack of trust between the state attorney's office and the police bureau because right. at this at this point in time, um, gangsters basically ran the city. So we're like in the 20s or something? Yeah. Right, yeah, okay. so this is 1929 um, that it happened. So there was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of dirty police officers. Okay. But we'll go into all of that. Okay. And he's like, do you know what? We don't trust these officials, so we'll make our own... Precisely. Because if it did have something to do with uh, the police, then obviously they couldn't trust the police to do the investigation. Ooh, a clue. Yes. Okay. Well, well, it's not really a clue. When I tell you... Yeah. Okay. It's not really a clue. (laughs) But yeah. Okay. So we'll start with the victims now. Uh, So first off, we have Frank Gusenberg. So he was alive when the police arrived at the scene, but he refused to talk. Oh. There's a few different sources saying slightly different things, but the most he said was, I won't talk, and the cops did it. Oh. I won't talk, but I'm going to tell you what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there's speculation as to whether he said, I won't talk. Right. The cops did it, one or the other. So right, okay. different sources say different things. Um so he had many aliases, mostly Frank or Fred with alternate surnames. Mm. Uh, for the most part, his initials were like remained FG. And when the news came out, two women came forward saying they were Frank's widow. Oh, no. <laughs> and they had no knowledge of his profession. Oh, no. So not only was he keeping his job from his missus, but he was keeping his other missus from his missus. What was his job? He was a gangster. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, I should have maybe said that. So they're all gangsters. Right. So they're part of the Moran Gang, which is north side Chicago in the right. 1920s. Okay. So this is when uh, it was illegal to drink, and there was a lot of bootleg yeah. booze, so they were running one of the um, bootleg booze and gambling uh, operations. Mm-hmm. And then there was, have you heard of Al Capone? Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... <laughs> I don't know, do I? This little known gangster, Al Capone. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he was uh, Moran's opposition. Oh, okay, mm, okay. And that's the plot thickens. It does, yeah. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so <laughs> the next person who was killed in the, in the massacre was Peter Gusenberg, which is Frank's older brother and literal partner in crime. 
His wife had expressed no knowledge of his involvement in Moran's Chicago outfit and claimed to know him as Peter Gorman, not Gusenberg. As far as she was concerned, he worked in real estate. Okay. And that's why he had all this money. Now, you're not telling me all these wives don't have a fucking inclination about what's going on here. Or maybe they're just saying that to the police because then... Yeah, and I mean, if they had a problem, then fucking deal with that woman. You know, mm. those were the days. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Mm. Uh, now, a little bit about the Gusenberg brothers um, as a collective. So, they're second generation immigrants. Their parents moved to the States in 1882, and all three of their sons were born in Chicago. The middle son, Henry, claims to have no involvement in his brother's criminal activities. Peter and Frank were supposedly involved in the attempted hit on Al Capone at the Ooh. Hawthorne Hotel about two and a half years prior to their death. Ooh, ooh, okay. Mm. So this is looking to... I'm assuming that then, when you say they immigrated, they immigrated from Italy or Sicily or somewhere like that. Uh, no, I think, no, I think it's German. Oh, German. It's German, yeah. Ah, right, it's quite okay. a few German... Um, see, the Moran gang were known as an Italian... No, sorry, an Irish gang, because Moran... But oh yeah, Bugs Moran was um, Italian, Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me, because yeah. you said Italy. It's <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. It's all right, mate. It's all right. It's because we're drinking at eleven a.m. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's like being at the airport, isn't it? But we're not going anywhere. I know. Sometimes, anyway. Yeah, so Ireland. He's Irish, um, but most of them were like German or um, Russian. Oh right, okay. Uh, so. Albert Kachelek, we'll go with that. Okay. He had a few aliases, but he was most commonly known as James Clark, <laughs> which I'm pleased about. <laughs> he was born in Krojenki, Germany, which is now Poland, and moved to the US at roughly six years old. He will have been in his early 40s at the time of the massacre and around 10 days before his birthday. Um, he had around $680 on his person when he was found, which equates to roughly $11,800 oh. in today's money. Just in his pocket. Just walking around with 11 grand in his pocket. Yeah. I well, mean, nearly 12. Who doesn't? Exactly. Yeah. And then there's John May. He was the mechanic to the Moran gang. Not a gangster at all, but was sadly one of the seven murdered that oh. day. He had done some driving of the bootleg booze. He'd been arrested prior for theft and robbery, but no convictions against his name. When he was found, he had not much more than a few dollars on his person and a St. Christopher medallion in his pocket that had been dented from the bullets. Oh, oh that's sinister. Yeah. There was about 70 rounds let off <gasps> uh, and a shotgun blast just for good measure. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and then there's Adam Heyer, who's known more commonly as Frank Snyder. He was like a business manager to the Moran gang. He was the nominal owner to their bootlegging business and whatever the cover was, and the tenant named as Snyder for the garage that they were all murdered in. Right. Snyder had been in and out of prison between 1908 and 1923, initially arrested on account of robbery, and then constantly dragged back to the slammer for breaches of his parole. Mm -hmm. He was also in his early 40s at the time of his death. He had $1,400 in his pockets, which is the equivalent to just 25 grand oh, today. Oh yeah, cash. You know, as you do. No wonder he's the business manager. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Albert Weinshank, the eldest of five children born to Russian immigrants. Albert was a businessman in the cleaning and dyeing industry and owned the Alcazar Club. Um, so I did some Googling to see if that was a prominent club. It was supposedly a mob-run gin mill and most likely a speakeasy. It was believed that Weinshank hadn't been a gangster for long, though. 
because uh, he only had $18, which is like 320 odd quid, oh. uh, not quid, dollars, and a diamond ring on his finger. Nothing else was particularly valuable. So he's like a low-level, entry-level entry, entry level gangster. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, if he owned a club, he probably had booze coming in from them and thought, oh, I'll join you, and yeah, then sure. died. Oops. Oh dear, what a mistake. Oopsie. And then finally, we have Reinhardt Schwimmer. A bit of a tip, this lad. <laughs> I'd imagine they probably mostly were. Oh yeah, no, but this this guy is like, he's just elite. He wants to be. Mm. He thinks he's fucking well cool, but he's not. Um, he's said to have been a bit of a tag along, and he was said to have boasted to people, "I can have everyone taken on a ride if I wanted to." Mm. Like the gangsters will kill you for me yeah, if I wanted them I know to. Yeah, t- I know the type you mean. Yeah, but he had no criminal record of his own. Mm-hmm. He was an only child, of course. To German immigrant parents who had been affiliated with the gang for several years. He was quite close with Frank Gusenberg, and Schwimmer's body was recognised by a doctor almost straight away because the doctor who saw them had removed Frank Gusenberg's appendix right. and Schwimmer was always visiting him. Right. So the doctor was like, oh, that's that fucking arse liquor Gusenberg. <laughs> <laughs> it was exact medical words. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> He's often this, so Schwimmer is often referred to as the innocent eye doctor in a lot of the um, articles and stuff about it. But I mean, he wasn't all that innocent. There was a gun found in his apartment after he had died, so that indicates that he was an accomplice or an acquaintance, mm. or he, he had some in form some of way, involvement, some sort of affiliation. Yeah, although no, no actual proof of that. So that's the seven victims right. that were killed in the massacre. So now we'll move on to witnesses, okay. witness accounts. So first off, we have Mrs. Josephine Morin. So she claims to have heard the shooting from her apartment opposite the garage. And when she looked out of her window, she saw what she described as two policemen with two or three other men walking in front of them with their hands up before getting into a black car, similar to the cars that detectives drive. And then they sped off. Okay. So that's what she saw. Then we've got Samuel Schneider who owns and works in the tailor shop next door to the murder scene, to the garage that they were all killed in. Uh, He describes the car to be detective style too. And he says he saw three men getting into a car as two men stood right in front of his shop window facing the garage. Okay. Then we have Jeanette Landersman, who lives above Schneider's tailor shop uh, with her elderly mother, Pauline. Now, Pauline happened to be looking out the window at the time of the shooting and just before and mentioned seeing a second police car. Okay. outside the front and so they both turned up the second one disappeared quite quickly mm-hmm. and then the shooting happened Jeanette her daughter was the first to call the police because obviously her mum saw a lot brave <clears throat> given you know this is probably a gangster situation yeah yeah and you're going to come forward as a witness mm-hmm. Oof, well done well I mean she's also seen police turn up and then all of a sudden everyone's been shot so she might think she's calling for backup well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But either, it is still very brave. Yeah, especially with the police being involved. If you didn't think it was what you just said... Yeah, yeah. You'd be like, you wouldn't be able to trust the police, would you? Surely, if you've seen them go in, shooting happened... Well, blah, it was blah. quite often that the police would go and do raids. Yeah. So what they would do is they'd get uh, the gangsters to line up against the wall with their hands up. Um, just basically like a show for yeah, the citizens around sure. to make it look like they're mm-hmm. policing but they're not actually because quite often they've got deals with the uh, with the gangsters or yeah. they'll turn a blind eye for whatever reason mm-hmm. um, so that's what 
the Moran gang thought was happening. Mm-hmm. So that's why they yeah. they lined up against the wall with their hands uh... up, with their back facing the people, and then they all got mowed down. Yeah. Which was not normal practice. No. No. <laughs> not what they were expecting at all. <laughs> no, it was not. 10 out of 10 would not recommend. No, no, no. <laughs> now, George Arthur Brichetti. Brichetti? Something like that. A Ooh, young I had my breakfast and that just made me go, Ooh, bruschetta. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I had a Belvita for Ooh. my breakfast. <laughs> chocolate chip and then I went to clean my teeth and I had chocolate under my lip and I thought I'd I, I thought I'd scratch myself in my sleep I was like no and I was like oh it's just chocolate so okay. attractive <laughs> so uh, George was a young man walking down the alley behind the garage and he saw a detective's car he saw two men in uniform and one in a top coat enter the garage from the back entrance when they had opened the door for a truck to get in George figured it was a raid, so he ran around the front to see what was happening, watch yeah, it unravel. Yeah. Uh, by the time he got there, the massacre had taken place. Two uniformed men were exiting the garage with two men in overcoats in front of them with their hands up. Um, they got into a second detective car and sped off. Okay. So the first car that he saw was in the lot behind. Mm-hmm. And then the men went in, and then there was still the one out the front. So that kind of fits with when the other, she said, one went, one stayed, one went away. So the other one likely went round the back, said, oh, hey, we've got to come in with this delivery or something. Oh, they they just walked in behind Oh, they just walked in, they just snuck in, shot up the place, came back round the front and... Disappeared. Yeah. Mm. But you said that, that when they came back around the... Fr- so when the people came out the front, they had people with their hands up as mm-hmm. well? Okay. They were leading people out by gunpoint. Yeah. Um. So it looked like they were making arrests. Ooh, but maybe it was actually just the plainclothes detectives. We shall see. Ooh. That's where, my, that's where I am at the minute. Okay. Because it's like, it's obvious, isn't it? it like, they put the, they put the uniform people there so it looks like it's mm. an arrest... But if you if they're all wearing the same, the detect- detectives or the uh, whoever they're being led out is all wearing the same kind of get-up, mm-hmm. it's a little obvious as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay. So it's a good little cover-up. Um, so the final of the witnesses, so there's Mrs. Minnie Arvidson and Mrs. It says, it says Michael Doody, but I think it must be like Michelle or something. Okay. So they were both owners of rooming houses opposite the crime scene. So they each reported renting rooms to suspicious-looking men mm-hmm. in the months leading up to Valentine's Day, oh. 1929. So Mrs. Doody rented a room to a man who claimed to be a late-night taxi driver, and he stayed in his apartment all day, sometimes with other men mm. would come round, and um, they insisted on having a front-facing apartment. Okay, yeah. So this is surveillance then, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah, they insisted on a front-facing apartment and left in late December. Mrs. Arvidson then had a request for a front front-facing apartment rented by two men who also claimed to be late-night taxi drivers. <laughs> and that Guys, was from... I know. Think of another... They're obviously like... going to talk to each other. They don't have Facebook, do they? <laughs> so that was you from... You couldn't have thought of any other, any other profession at all. I don't know whether that was quite common, though. That might have maybe. been quite common back then. Um, maybe, maybe. But that was from the 27th of January. And the tenants described by mo- by both Mrs. Doody and Mrs. Arvidson were never seen again after February 14th, leading investigators to believe that they were at least affiliated with whoever was responsible for the shooting. Makes sense, yeah. Now, on to some evidence. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So the first piece of evidence is letters to Mrs. Landisman and Mrs. Morin, the two women who called the police on the morning. Okay. The first two witnesses. And these letters arrived, what, after the murders or before? Uh, after. Right. Just after. Um, so the two women who called the police and gave statements of what they saw from their windows received threatening letters. Ooh. One stated, to whom it may con... Okay, hang on. One stated, quote, to whom it may concern. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best piece of work committed here for a long time. Lots more to follow. The gang. End quote. And mm. then at the bottom it said, quote, you better shut your mouth. End quote. Mm. The second letter stated, quote, Mrs. Landsman, please keep your mouth shut or you know what will happen to both of you. Keep out of our troubles. Don't forget Chai Boys. End quote. Don't forget what? Don't forget Chai Boys, which they think is Chicago Boys. Oh, right, okay. Mrs. Morin supposedly fled not only from the city, but from the state. I mean, yeah. I would too. To you've just fair. you've just overheard a massacre. Then you've got a threatening letter. I'm out of here. So in it, that massacre shook the entire nation. Right. Like the the images that were printed in the newspapers are graphic. Right. Very okay. very graphic. Like even so, this was shortly after the war had ended, and even war images yeah. were nowhere near as awful as these pictures. Oh my gosh, they're horrendous. Right. Honestly, absolutely horrendous. You'd think that they were fake. Wow. Yeah, very, very uh, disturbing stuff. Mm. So the nation were like, we're glamorising gangsters for what? Yeah. But because they were all drinking beer, they were all criminals technically. Yeah. Um, it was sort of like, ah, oh, it's fine. Do you mm. know what I mean? Mm. So Gusenberg's gun. Gusen... Gusenberg's gun. <laughs> <laughs> Is that hard to say? <laughs> well, it wasn't, but I was just being Emma. <laughs> Everyone be more Emma. Yeah. And if you were more Emma, you'd probably have like three different outcomes of what's just happened. Oh. Or what's happening. Okay. Yeah. I have like five different conspiracies at the okay. end that I'll tell you. Okay. So Gusenberg's gun. A gun was found beside skid marks in the grease on the floor. It was determined to be Frank Gusenberg's and it was fully loaded when it was found, indicating that there was no opportunity for him to have fired it before he was mowed down. Mm -hmm. One thing that will always remain a mystery is if the gunfire was sparked by the drawing of this gun, or if it was pulled in an attempt of self-defence. Yeah, because why would the gun be out at all? Mm. Well, I don't know. It must have been pulled in in somewhere or another, so it can't be like... Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah, because it's... They just walked in, start shooting, you wouldn't even have had a chance to draw it whatever way, would you? So the gun has come out of his hand and skidded across the floor... It could be just as simple as he was told to put his hands up and it was seen in, in the back of his pants mm. and he was told to slide it across mm. the floor. It might not have been that he's tried to draw it at all, but we just don't know. Do we know how long the um, the attack took? So between so the witnesses described seeing these people coming in, yeah. seeing them coming out. Do we know how long that was, that time period? Not very long at all. Yeah. It was like in a matter of minutes. They oh, minutes, not went seconds in then. And just fucking. Mo- they fired 70 rounds and yeah. a shotgun blast and then just. Yeah. But because they had their police uniforms, I don't think they had to be quite as speedy, I suppose. Mm. Um, but they obviously had to lead people back into the car mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm. So uh, I don't know exactly how long it took, but it was around 10 30 in the morning. Right. On Valentine's Day. The next piece of evidence mm-hmm. is a 1927 Cadillac touring car which was discovered on the 21st of February, just seven days later, in a burning, in a burning building. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that had been barricaded from the inside. Okay. So the car not only fit the description of those seen on the 14th, but it had been cut and hacked apart by an acetylene torch, you know, those... Oh, yeah. That you have to wear a face mask. Yeah. Not like a pandemic face mask, but... Like a welding torch type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So by that, a saw and even an axe. Okay. So whoever was taking it apart was desperate to take it apart. Mm -hmm. In the building, there was a coat and a hat found, um, along with a police siren that had been removed from the car. Mm. Whoever started the fire obviously left their jacket and probably struggled to get out. So they were probably... dom-dom. In it. Probably quite badly burnt. Oh dear. Yeah. The garage re- was rented out on the 12th of Feb to a Frank Rogers. Oh, so paid, before the massacre. Yeah. Two days before. Paid $20, which is roughly about $360 in today's money, in advance for a month's use of the space. Mm. It's assumed that the reason for burning the garage and the car was in pure panic, um, following a police order to search all the garages and shacks in search of alcohol production. The Cadillac was traced back to a used car dealership purchased for $850, which is just over 15 grand, uh, by a James Morton of California. Okay. The next piece of evidence... Wait, do we know anything about James Morton or is this just like an alias? alias? Right, okay. Um, The next piece of evidence is a 1926 peerless touring car, which was found six days later on the 27th of February, following reports of an explosion in the suburbs and west of Chicago. They're not subtle, these guys, are they? Like, go and no. put it in a swamp or something. Like, stop blowing shit up. Well, I think the the thought is if they blow it up, then it's less likely that they're going to be able to trace it. If it's in a swamp, it's all in one piece, isn't it? Mm. Also, I have no idea if there are any swamps anywhere near Chicago. I don't know either. <laughs> There's about to be bodies of water, though, aren't there? Yeah. That's what I mean. It's not, necessarily, it's not solely swamps you have to lose things in. <laughs> they're probably, like rust a lot quicker as well they're probably not as good as our cars now or they won't be they definitely won't be Mm. so there were also other crucial pieces of evidence like a police style gong not sure what that is um loads of stolen license plates and wineshank's personal notebook so wineshank was the one who was believed to be new to gangster life and Mm -hmm. killed in the seven 13 dollars in his pocket 18 18 and a diamond ring don't forget um, so his notebook was with the with the car the car that blew up. Well, the expo- there was an explosion where the car was. Exactly. Now everything was intact. Intact. So the um, explosion either went off prematurely, um, or it just wasn't done very well at all. Um, but the police just dismissed it as a plant. Mm. They thought it was like a distraction. It was later traced back to a Patrick Gleason whose given address when purchasing the car wasn't a residence at all. It was nothing more than a vacant lot. Okay, so another alias then. Mm-hmm. Quite a lot of them are aliases. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, you don't, there's no computers. So. No, there's no way to <laughs> trace it. You can call yourself whatever you fucking want. doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly. Um, now, weapons. The next piece of evidence is a bunch of weapons okay. found in a hit-and-run suspect's house. We will go... We'll get to the hit-and-run. Okay. But yeah, so the hit and run suspect, when they got to his house, they found three bulletproof vests, a load of disguises, two sawn off shotguns, tear gas, an automatic rifle, two Tommy guns, revolvers, 900 rounds of machine gun fire and sacks of pistol and shotgun ammo, old shirts that were initialed FRB and RB, 
and brand new shirts that initialed FWD. And lastly, a total of $352,000 in stolen cash and securities. Want to guess how much that is in today's Oof, money? Over a million. Oh, 6.3. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a big wig. Yes. Well, or an arms dealer. No, you'd need more guns, surely, if you're he's an arms dealer. He's definitely a gangster. Yeah. He's definitely a gangster, we can say. He's a criminal, for sure. Mm. Um, a crook. A crook. Uh, a dangerous man. And they were only after him for a hit and run. Anyway. <laughs> Imagine. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, balls. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I've really fucked this up. And then there's the bullets from the crime scene. So this is the last piece of evidence. Okay. Uh, so there was the new investigative breakthrough that was forensic ballistics, Ooh. which meant that the two Tommy guns that I just mentioned could mm-hmm. be checked against the bullets recovered from the scene to see if they matched. Mm-hmm. Now, the cylinder of each gun will leave a different imprint, yeah. uh, like a specific imprint mm-hmm. on the bullet as it's shot, which is almost like its own fingerprint. Yeah, The guns were a match, both mm-hmm. the Tommy guns. Um one was also supposedly a match for a murder of a mob boss in July 1928. The other, that actually fired 50 of the rounds during the massacre, my wow. I add, uh, originally belonged to Deputy Sheriff Leslie Farmer of Illinois, who disappeared and was thought to be affiliated with a gang in St. Louis. Oopsie. Mm. So he was like a dirty cop, and then Seems he's like been it. disappeared, and they've taken his Tommy gun, and now they're mm. using it in crimes. Indeed. Indeed. So it was two Tommy guns and a shotgun, so two of the murder weapons have been found. Yeah. On to the suspects. Okay. So Al Capone, obviously, everybody's favourite suspect. Yeah. Um, the original Scarface, mm-hmm. the leader of the opposing Chicago outfit, and the man who glamorised gangbanging. He was a slip. I know, I probably shouldn't have put that in there, but... <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> so immature of me. <laughs> When I reread over it last night, I was like, I'm not going to change it. <laughs> <laughs> so he was a celebrity. He was on the front of papers constantly, rich as a motherfucker and basically above the law. Mm. He made a mockery of the police force and he was also largely involved in the supply of bootleg booze and ran many speakeasies. Mm-hmm. Speaking of speakeasies and bootleg booze, I don't know why I always do this. <laughs> she puts her arms up like a chicken, by yeah. the way. <laughs> My hands on my hips, but it's not my hips. It's, it's like, like ribs. under your arms, <laughs> like a chicken. How's about some fully above board beer? Okay. Let me just finish this one. <laughs> All right. This is. I'll hold up for you so you can see it. Ooh, Ooh it's cute, right? From North Brewing. Yeah. Oh my god, they've just been bought out. They were going into liquidation. Oh shit! They've really? just been saved. By who? Do we know? Uh, Hawks. I can't remember. I can't remember. But you know, I sent you the um, the link where there was a oh the the discount code for North Brewing. Oh, it was so it's thank you twenty five. So they're thanking the brewery that bought them out of liquidation, oh. and they kept the same management and everything. Okay, I didn't put two which and is two really together. Nice. But yeah, okay, okay. Well, this is a tropical pale ale with aromas of guava and mango, Ooh. with a strong hoppy finish, also vegan-friendly. Mm. These guys are from Leeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't really say anything else about them, apart from what you've just yeah. told me, because <laughs> well, their, their website doesn't have a lot of information. Yeah. Maybe it will coming up. Yes. Um, so this beer has citra, azaka, I want to say, Ooh. Um, and mosaic hops. Azaka is new to us, I think. I don't yeah, think I don't think it. I remember no. it. 
So this apparently gives tropical fruit and citrus sort of vibes. Top. Uh, mango, pineapple and pine sort mm. of flavours. Um, and I looked at some of the reviews for this beer and some people say it tastes like adding lilt to a pale ale. Ooh. Which they were saying in a bad way, but I was like, dude, that sounds awesome. That does sound great. Yeah, so let's try it. But yeah, I think that's really cool um, that they've obviously kept all the same uh, staff and yeah, brewers and yeah. everything. Um, I think they just fell on hard times. Hey, Cosy Lives is coming for us all, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited for them. Yeah. I'm excited to try this. And what a weird mm. coincidence. I know. I know. <laughs> Definitely tropical thing. Mm. But not as much as I was expecting when they said Lil, you might as well have poured Lil into a parallel. But Lil isn't um, like massively, you know, yeah, pungent, I suppose, with the flavour. It's subtle, that tropical yeah. flavour though, isn't it, this? I mean, I mean, in the beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, um, this I could have a few of. Yeah. Quite easily. Yeah. Especially in the sun. Mm. It's nice. Mm. Really nice. Yeah. Oh, actually, mm. I spoke to um, Nigel, the head brewer and one of the co-founders of Bang the Elephant. Oh, yeah. Um, and he said, so I asked him about the... Watch out for I you, know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I asked him, I said that you were like, I don't want to bang the elephant. <laughs> That it comes from an old um, Victorian saying, which is "bang up the elephant," which means like top job. And I was no. like, "Oh, I thought it was like the elephant named Bang." He was like, "Yeah, no, we—that's kind of what it is, but it, it comes from that." So wow! There you go. Oh my god, that's actually really interesting. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. Yeah, I do. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Nigel. So, do you want to hear a bit more? Yes, please. Cool. Right. So, Al Capone's impression on Chicago wasn't all negative. Oh. Just going to throw it in there. His bar and gambling businesses made way for the breakthrough of jazz. Oh. He would often have black musicians playing in the speakeasies that everyone would flock to. Someone once stole Louis Armstrong's trumpet. <laughs> How rude. And as soon as Al Capone got wind of it, it was returned pronto. Oh, I bet it fucking was. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're stealing the man's trumpet, how is he going to... What are you going to do all exactly. night now? Sit in fucking silence? Exactly. Come on. So, it, obviously, the instrument was was like gold dust to the musicians so mm. Al Capone was like not fucking having that you don't yeah. take his trumpet disrespectful yeah I love it so he's on the side of musicians then, yeah Al Capone that's what we can say about him exactly he's at the forefront of putting on jazz musicians indeed okay good we like it it's good to see a multiple multifaceted <laughs> gangster exactly a gangster with morals <laughs> The question mark at the end of that was right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So he was the obvious choice as an immediate suspect, but his alibi was ironclad. So he, at the time of the murders, he was in a meeting in Florida with a state official, no less. Ah, yeah, no, you're not, there's no way you're turning that around. So very convenient, or could it be an incredibly fortunate coincidence? Or also... He's not probably going to do it himself, is he, if he's at the top of his game at this point? He's probably got guys that he sends out to do this shit. But the pe- the, the police want to get him behind bars. Yeah. So he's literally swinging his dick about, going, mm. try. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to kill seven people, yeah. and you're not going to be able to arrest me for it. Yeah, I think didn't, in the end, didn't they get him on tax evasion yeah. or something? Yeah, so like he's obviously good at his, what he does. Well, this is the thing, because of obviously he thought he was being called in for that, when he got done for tax evasion, he was so cocky he didn't even take a lawyer. <laughs> and they were like, so, 
we've got all these receipts. He was like, what are we talking about money for? Let's talk about the people who are dead and the no. people that you oh, can't pin it on wait, me. What did, wait, what dead people? <laughs> well, he obviously knows. It's all over the... Pla- uh, yeah, plastered yeah. all over the... And this was years later that he got... Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Probably like two or three years later. Anyway, enough about Al Capone. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't him. Anytime anybody talks about the Valentine's Day massacre, it's always Al Capone this, Al Capone that. Well, let's talk about something else. <laughs> we get it. He saved Louis Armstrong. <laughs> or at least his trumpet. Yeah, he saved his trumpet. You know what I mean? It's very important. Yes. <laughs> hey, Al Capone might be the reason that we even know Louis Armstrong's name. Because that might have been very early on in his career. Could have been, yeah. Mm. If he'd have lost his trumpet, then, then he... maybe he never would have... Maybe because we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. I didn't research that far into it. Maybe should have have done. Anyway, so suspect number two, police corruption. Okay, yeah. This is where I am at the minute. Mm. So it wasn't all that far-fetched to think that police were behind this. Not more than two years earlier, a member of Moran's Northside gang was shot and killed by police, but while he was unarmed, in police custody, Mm -hmm. and probably handcuffed. Okay. So it was like... Maybe the police are just fucking absolutely sick of them. And, and back then, they're all take. I mean, I'm sure it happens a lot now, but especially back then, they're all taking fucking backhanders for oh, yeah. all sorts, aren't they? Exactly. Now, the next suspect is George Bugs Moran, Irishman and head of the gang attacked. It was thought to be a bit bizarre that such a huge hit like that wouldn't have included Bugs. So investigators had to rule out the possibility that he was involved in the murders. He arrived at the scene just as two men were being led out at gunpoint. He claims to have been so shaken up by what happened that he checked himself into hospital for a few days, which he did from the um, 15th till the 18th. He was mostly disturbed by the sight of the two prisoners because he didn't recognise them. Hmm. So the two men that were being led out by the police officers, no idea who they are. Yeah. Initially, it was thought that Moran was one of the prisoners being led out by other witnesses, mm-hmm. but that uh, and that was possibly why he wasn't dead. Uh, and he ended up buggering off to Montreal in Canada to board a ship to Paris, where he says he stayed to allow his nerves to calm and plan his next move. Yeah, I mean, they might not have, have taken out the mob boss because no, they're not the mob, are they? Well, whatever the. Well, they kind of are, aren't they? The... I think the mob are Italians. But anyway, they've not. T- I'm thinking they maybe wouldn't take out him because that's like almost too far, and then the retribution would be much worse. Um, and then he could have checked himself into hospital because it's like, oh shit, they've come after my lot. But if yeah. I'm in hospital, they're less likely to be able to get me. Yeah. So there was that. That yeah. So he he was reportedly seen on the fifteenth, but he was in hospital until the eighteenth. It's only um, taken a few days to like it was lay low. Pu- yeah. and it was through fear, yeah. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what he claims anyway. Yeah. And then there's Willie Marks, who's also a suspect, who is Bug's right-hand man, his best and most trusted lieutenant, and he was on the way to the garage with Bugs on the morning of the murder. Oh, so they were on the way to the garage. So maybe they yeah. were supposed to be there then. They were supposed to be there. Ah, but okay. because they weren't there, they had to be investigated. Sure. Oh, so maybe the police are like, shit, we were supposed to get them to as well, but they weren't there. So now let's just pin it on them. Even We'll get them that way. Exactly. Yeah. Or it could be. Or is it? Who knows? <laughs> Have I solved it? No. Okay. <laughs> but that is one of my conspiracies. Oh. Nearly. Okay. We'll get there. So the circus gang is the next 
suspect. That is an awesome name for a gang. It kind of is. If you're going to be a gang, be the circus gang. Yeah. That's a good name. Yeah. I mean, some of these names are quite um, quite cringe. We'll get to that Go in just on a second. Then. I, I just love 20s gangster names. <laughs> 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 they just remind me of like Casper's brothers, Fatso and... What's the other one's called? Casper. Like Casper the Friendly Ghost? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. Not watched it in years. Oh, anyway. Can't remember. I thought you didn't watch animated things. It's not really animated. Casper's the only animated part of that film. Oh, see, I don't remember. <laughs> so the circus gang actually <laughs> named after the circus cafe that they would hang out in. Oh, okay. They were a group of petty criminals closely affiliated with Capone and his troupe. Uh-huh. Tony Accardo, who was very young at the time, eventually went from the circus gang to running the Chicago outfit years later. Mm. The burned garage where the Cadillac was found had been used as a microbrewery previously and operated by the brother of Tough Tony. <laughs> this is what I mean, like, great names. <laughs> we had a Tough Tony in uh, Michael Malloy as well, didn't we? Oh, we did. We hired Tough Tony. Maybe it's the same Tough Tony because it's around the same time. Oh, I'd love it. Imagine. Oh my God. Where was Michael? Where was Michael Malloy's case at? I can't remember. Was it Chicago? I don't know. I don't know. It was definitely Prohibition, though. So yeah, yeah. Let's hope it's the same Tough Tony. Oh my God! Imagine. (laughs) But kind of like how um, the axe murderers were in the same as that. (laughs) (laughs) The Valeska house uh, murders were in the Lizzie Borden. Or not, <laughs> as the case may be. Opposite sides of America. Oops. But yeah, so Tof Tony is Circus Cafe's owner. Okay. So the, the garage was rented out to Circus Cafe's uh, owner's brother. Tof Tony's brother. Tof Tony's brother. Okay, and they were do- using it as a microbrewery. Yes, Okay. previously. Now on to Tof Tony. I don't understand how he was like, oh, I'm tough. Like, that's not intimidating. Well, he probably but... didn't do it with his arms out there, like some sort of cape. Like, oh, I'm top Tony. I'm top Tony. I just think it's really cringe. Anyway. Yeah. So he and another bloke were seen a couple of days before the fire outside the, outside? Outside <laughs> the garage in overalls and caked in grease. Okay. Which, so, but, it's a garage, so... Well, perhaps okay. he had a part in taking the Cadillac apart. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you say a few days after the murder? A few days before the fire. Before the, Oh, before the fire. Right, okay. So after the murder, before the fire. Yeah. And so did you say the circus gang were like a sort of a sub-gang for Al Capone's lot? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so they were a separate gang, but they were affiliated. They were sort of like henchmen. They were like, gang for hire. You're not as good as us, gang, but we'll hire you to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was wise to choose one of the north side or south side. Right. So they were Al Capone south side. I understand. Okay. So, uh, yeah, a nurse in a hospital about a block away on the night of the fire reported that a man covered in burns had come in claiming to have been injured in a still explosion but was unwilling to wait to see a doctor for fear of a police report being made. Now, why have you come to hospital? <laughs> Because he thought he'd be able to be seen immediately. Oh, right, okay. He's covered in burns. He's panicking. Yeah. Historians are still in debate as to whether this was Tof Tony using an alias or a different Tony who fit the same description because it was Tony Florentino, I think it was. Okay. Um, when he went to the hospital. So the description was five foot two, Italian, 140 pounds. And does that match Tof Tony? It does. Aha, okay. And now I understand why it's called Tough Tony, because he's like, yay big, he's smaller than you. <laughs> <laughs> so, go tough, I swear. 
football, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's actually, yeah. yeah. Oh 140 my God. pounds. He's a little tough guy walking around like, oh, hey, look, tough. look how tough I am. <laughs> <laughs> like a little Jack Russell. Oh, literally. Yeah. So the next uh, suspect is Maddox, who is the unofficial leader of the circus gang. Oh, unofficial leader. Unofficial. So he, he kind of ran it, but it wasn't like he didn't claim to be the leader. Okay. When his office was raided by the authorities, evidence was found that he had hired killers from St. Louis. Okay. So remember that police officer was from St. Louis, whose gun it was initially, who was affiliated with the gang. So that's one little tie. connection there. Whenever I think St. Louis and I'm thinking of gangsters, all I can think of is Bo from Superstore. Um, I've never watched that. Oh my God. If anyone else thinks of Superstore, imagine Bo. He's, he's... He thinks he's like a gangster, but he's not. He's like and a cringe little white boy. And he's from St. Louis, so... <laughs> yeah. Right. The, the store's in St. Louis. I'm really sad that you haven't seen it. <laughs> Just ignore that I said <laughs> the, that. Oh, well, I wonder how that feels. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so not sure what the evidence was. Apparently okay. evidence was found, but what was the evidence? Don't so know. it was found, sorry, that he had hired... Killers from St. Louis. Okay. Um, so either way, it was spurred... Uh, either way, it spurred Assistant State Attorney uh, Walker Butler and Lieutenant Cusack, they don't come up again, not sure who they are, okay. um, to speak to the St. Louis police about it. Okay. So they went to St. Louis, spoke to the head of police. The next suspect is James Ray, a.k.a. Gus Winkler who was wanted for murder in St. Louis and had spent time in prison before. He started out in St. Louis's Cuckoo Gang. I think that's better than Circus that Gang. Is better, yeah. uh, and he was Fred Killer Burke's actual partner in crime. Oh. Who's Fred Killer Burke? I'm about to tell you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is a meaty one. Okay. So Fred the Killer Burke was hired from St. Louis and wanted for the past four years, mind... Uh, for robberies and murder all over the Midwest. Uh-huh. He was a member of Ergen's Rats, a notorious gang in St. Louis. Oh, there's too many gangs, I'm getting so confused. Well, they're different places, aren't they? Yeah, I know, but I mean, like... Right, okay, so he's from another gang, but he was mates with the other fella. Yeah. The one before. Who was he again? Remind me. Uh, Gus Winkler. Gus Winkler. He was the person that had... Wait... So they were, bo- they were both uh, hired killers from St. Louis. Right, okay. They were in separate gangs, but they were partners in crime. It's like a Romeo and Juliet situation. Kind of is, yeah. Okay, let's do but it. But the Leo version. The Leo version? Oh, Leonardo right, yeah. I'm sorry, I've got you yeah. now, yeah. I've seen both. Mm-hmm. Check me out. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, this was the gang that Officer Deputy Sheriff Leslie Park uh, Leslie Farmer was supposedly affiliated with okay. in St. Louis, so the rats. So we're bringing it back around now. Exactly, okay. yeah. Um, Imagine being a gang called the rats, though. That's That feels like, you know, you're not supposed to rat. Like, why would you be called the rats? Why would you want to be because they're known sneaky. as a rat? Maybe. I don't know. Way, not a good name. No. It's not like the circus gang or... What was the other one? Cuckoo gang. Cuckoo gang. Yeah, I like that yeah, one. That's good. That's my favourite one, I think. Okay. Um, so another rat known as Shocker had been spotted working near the garage that was burned with the Cadillac inside shortly before it was set ablaze. Now Fred, Killer Burke, 
was missing his two front teeth uh, and he was he matched the description given by a few of the witnesses of one of the uniformed gunmen. Ah. So they mentioned that whoever it was didn't have t- ha- was missing two front teeth and Fred was missing two front teeth. Okay, that's quite conspicuous, isn't it? It is. Now, exactly ten months after the massacre, on the 14th of December, 1929, there was further blood spilled and a wild goose chase for Burke. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Ba, ba, ba. laughs> <laughs> so it all started with an innocent fender bender. A man named Forrest Cool, which <laughs> I love. <laughs> Fuck Tough Tony, it's Forrest yeah. Cool with a K. Of course it's with a K. With a K, because he's too is. cool. That's how cool he is. He's so cool. Can't even spell he's that cool. <laughs> he's a litterer. <laughs> well, what's cooler than being a litterer? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing, my guy. <laughs> So Forrest Cool was bumped into, causing damage to a car to his car. It wasn't that major, but he was pissed off. Mm. He was fucking fuming. Now, whoever was in the other car had offered him money to fix it, sure. but Cool wanted to report it to the police. Okay. Which the other driver didn't want. So he just sped off. So this is the hit and run. This is the hit and run. Okay. Um, so the other driver took off, speeding away in a desperate attempt to escape. They ended up in central Michigan, where Cool flagged down a police officer who sadly, after only six months on the force and about 22 years old, ended up being shot and killed by the erratic driver. About a mile away, the car was found overturned with two of its wheels ripped off following a sharp bend in the road, but the driver was nowhere to be seen. Papers in the car showed that it belonged to a Fred Dane, So police went to his address listed on the papers in search for him. They didn't find him, but they found all those weapons. And they also found those shirts, didn't they? Uh Uh-huh. So Fred Killer Burke sometimes went by the alias Ray Burke. So Raymond is his middle name. Okay. So the old shirt initials were FRB Uh or RB. Yeah. And the new ones are FWD, so Fred Dane. Ah... Fingerprinting Imagine later confirmed that they were the same person. Being an idiot, though, like if you're going around doing crimes, and you don't use aliases, why, fucking, can't initi- why are you going around with your initials on your shirt? You <laughs> fucking idiot. That's what I thought. I'm like, if you're going to come up with an alias, why would you? Why fucking stop? <laughs> stop. You might that. as well have had it was Fred Dane's written on your fucking forehead, you <laughs> dickhead. God. So yeah, fingerprinting later confirmed that they were one in the same. I guess this is where the criminals are not rocket scientists, I suppose. Oh yeah, there's sort of shit in it. Maybe it's something that they used to be able to get away with, but he he didn't <laughs> think he was going to get caught. Well, I know, but your chances are remarkably increased if you're going around wearing your fucking initials <laughs> on a t-shirt while you're committing crime. You dick. Yeah, that is very true. Jesus. Um. So after a lot of running and the death of anyone who tried to get him put behind bars. Um, so there was another, there was a neighbour after he moved away from there and got away again who read a, an article about one of the crimes that he had committed under another alias and suspected it to be him. So he he caught wind of, of that and went and fucking shot his neighbour. Oh like he would do anything to keep people from uh, dobbing him in. So uh, just over just over two years, about two years and one month after the massacre and after six years on the run, he was arrested in Missouri, living under the alias of Richard White. Uh-huh. 
I would imagine that he probably got rid of all of his other initial stuff by that point. <laughs> they arrested him in a t-shirt that said RW in the corner. <laughs> I am Richard White. Not Slash. <laughs> Not RB. <laughs> so the next one is Byron Bolton. Oh. Hmm. So he's the Valentine's Day Massacre's very own confession killer. Oh. Um, without actually confession confessing to the murder he itself. did not confessioning to the murders so uh, only his involvement uh, in spying from across the street mrs doody recognized a photo of him when asked and she said that was the polite young man who stayed in my apartment wait what why was he in her apartment you know the so mrs doody and mrs arvidson um reported oh. the taxi drivers oh sorry yeah he i thought he you was... meant it was pauline and oh like, no, no sorry yeah. yeah so yeah so that was um it's the boarding house people yes right there was also a letter um, during the stay addressed to something Bolton. Okay. Um, so that further confirms that he was potentially one of the people... And who is he? ...who was there. Um, so we'll go into that in a sec. So he knew an awful lot of details. So this was years after. His name's Byron Bolton. And he came forward saying, I was involved. This is what happened. Here are all the details. Uh, to the FBI. Okay, and the details matched, I'm assuming. Yes, so there was information that wasn't um, released to the public public. that he knew. Mm -hmm. Um, There were certain things that he said that um, the first police officer on the scene on the day said he's undoubtedly got information. Like He he must know what's happened. Um, This this has got to be true. Um, So his confession to the FBI was tirelessly, tire, tirelessly denied by um, Hoover, who was the director of uh-huh. the FBI at the time. Oh, here we go. This is going to get good then. Mm-hmm. So he denied that the confession even existed because Bolton even went to the press. Mm-hmm. But then because the press wanted to have the best scoop, the facts were sort of manipulated or twisted mm-hmm. to, to have the best story. So... Some of the stuff that was um, printed in the newspapers wasn't true. It was dramatised mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, but Hoover was like, nope, didn't exist. He never came to us about it. He's a liar. That didn't happen, blah, blah, blah. On the inside, he was very panicky because he was like, we have a leak. So Who Hoover was. Yeah, he was like, there's mm. someone who's leaking stuff from inside. Either our phone lines are compromised or we've got someone inside who's yeah. on the payroll who's telling people stuff that they shouldn't know. Yeah. What, leak um, into the press or leak into the gangsters? Well, leak, in, uh, leak into the press and leak into Bolton. Right. So that he they could feed him the information so that he had the right information to the, give to the FBI. Mm. Yeah, because okay. he, didn't, he didn't believe. Plus, um, the longer he denies it, the easier it's going to be for him to pin it on Al Capone. Mm-hmm. He, he wants it, a certain narrative, doesn't he? Sure, of course, yeah. Well, he was also Hoover was also the one though that was putting um, protesters under surveillance and stuff like that for being commies and stuff. So I don't really trust a lot that he's got to say oh, about no, the no. matter. To be honest no, with you, no, no. So Bolton did does actually point the finger at Capone, stating that his intention was to eliminate bugs and had the chief of detectives, who had a completely clean rap sheet, um, paying him five grand, which is ninety grand, wow, a week, um, to assist Capone in this see this is where i'm at at the minute i'm i'm like a gang not sure which yet because there's a Mm. lot of gangs uh bought 
police surveillance so it was the police who were in the um the boarding the lodging rooms whatever they're called mm. they were doing the surveillance handing the information back to the gang um they gave them even maybe the outfits so that mm. the gang could go in and pretend to be the police so then it makes it look anywhere else but at the gang that's yes. where i am at the minute yeah see there's, there's definitely more than just a gang involved in this okay like there must be there's no definitive answer as to yeah. what happened, but I'll go. I'll do like a, a recap of the most likely scenario, yeah. and then um, we'll go. I'll, I'll tell you what I what my favorite okay. is. Is it aliens? <laughs> no, I'm not blaming the aliens first. <laughs> aliens are much smarter. You've you've really turned, <laughs> I, haven't you? I, I, no, From I've blaming aliens this. for everything. Don't blame too. the aliens. Aliens are smart enough to build the fucking pyramids. Do you think they give a fuck about Al Capone? <laughs> no, no, they don't. No, they do not. No, they don't. <laughs> So the uh, the chief of detectives, he had never been... He had a completely clean rap yeah, sheet. no suspect. So I feel like it's a bit far-fetched. Now, the only thing that makes me consider this is that he was also in Florida where Al Capone was at the time of the murders. Okay. But then if he's the chief of police and Capone's got to go down there to talk to this investigator or whatever maybe that. maybe that makes sense maybe yeah. he's, he's maybe supposed he's to be up on there him. maybe they were like hey we're bringing down this guy from your area out of courtesy we're letting you know mm. maybe you want to come along or maybe he didn't know who he was meeting so he followed to see if he was doing anything he shouldn't be doing maybe i hadn't thought of that now the final suspect that we're going to go through is william white okay so we haven't heard of this guy before so he's the first cousin of a firefighter called William Davin Jr., who had been shot in the stomach about two and a half months before the massacre had okay. occurred. He was in hospital for about a month before he died. Davin didn't want to disclose who had shot him, uh, while he still thought he had a chance of survival, obviously. But on his deathbed, he confessed to his cousin, William White, who had shot him. He named several members of the Moran gang. White had allegedly worked with the Gusenbergs a few years prior on a huge robbery uh, in which eight people were involved. One of those involved thought it wise to start yapping. Mm. So White had two men put on police uniforms and murder the snitch while he slept. Wow. The father of the firefighter who was killed was a police sergeant. Mm. Okay. Which would explain why he was able to access police uniforms, particularly in the case of the massacre of Moran's lot, mm -hmm. considering his son was killed by sure, him, yeah. literally like a month, six weeks earlier. But then if he's a police officer, why would <clears> he want to pin it on the police? Well, I don't think he wanted to put... I don't think he really cared. He wanted them gone. Mm. Um, his So the on his deathbed, he said um, one of the Gusenberg brothers did it. Mm. But he didn't name which one. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget that Frank Gusenberg was still alive and said cops did it. Yeah. Maybe he recognised someone who was there and understood that no one snitched on him when he shot the firefighter, so he graced them with the same courtesy. Maybe that's why he didn't say, because he might have recognised White being there and been like, I'm not going to dub you in because you didn't dub me in. This is how we deal with it. We're gangsters. That's that's how it's done. I'm not buying that. That's that, I, think, I think there's something to it. But anyway, um, the final piece of information that makes me suspect this to be the true motive is that there were witnesses who claimed that the getaway driver had a finger or a couple of fingers missing, and William White was often referred to as Three-Fingered Jack. Oh. 
uh, following what is disputed to be either a childhood injury or a safe-cracking job gone wrong. Oh. Either way, it cost him two digits on one of his hands. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he I could... think that's proper. Why? Why would you care enough to kill that many people from a different gang if you're still the biggest gangster? Yeah, but greed plays a massive yeah. part in these gangs. Like you always want, you want the monopoly. Really, you don't yeah. want anyone ever taking part of your territory. You just want it all. Because mm. why would I share when I can have it all? That's kind of like, you know, why these people do these things. And you you see it all the time. Like now, don't you? Gangs shooting each other for territory. Mm. So uh, maybe it just seems like the most um, solid motive. I think. I don't think we need a motive other than greed here. This doesn't feel personal to me. What do you mean? I mean, not with this guy. This guy, oh, like, right. if he was involved, absolutely, it's personal. And maybe he asked to be involved because yeah, they maybe. knew it was happening and he was like, hey, shit, I want my piece of this because they killed my kid. Maybe. But, I mean, the actual killings themselves don't feel personal. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, if he'd have gone in and been like, you killed my kid and now I'm killing you, blah, blah, that would have taken a longer time. But then if you if you go in just to kill one person, then all the others are going to draw guns on you. So it's like, I don't care who fucking dies in this. I'm getting them gone because they killed my boy. My boy was a good man. He was a firefighter. He had no involvement in it. But then you think, you'd think you get that per- you'd kill that person while they're on their own. Not might not be very often that they're on their own. Yeah. Plus, if he's got two fucking wives, it's probably all <laughs> over the place. How are you gonna know where he is? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't buy that one. Okay, That's fair enough. Me. So, going through a recap, okay, of the most likely scenario. By now, we've discussed what we think the most likely story is, or you've done an Emma and you've created <laughs> your own conspiracies. <laughs> Go on, yeah. But just to recap the events. I'm going to tell you what is considered to be the closest to the truth of what happened pretty much exactly 95 years ago from three hours after this episode is released. Wait, what? So it releases at 7.30 in the morning. Oh, I see. It happened at 10.30 in the morning. Oh, 95 years ago. Mm. Yeah. Oh, God, that's so weird, isn't it? To the day. That's why I had to do it. Oh, go on then. Love it. So the suspicious taxi drivers i'm doing yeah. air quotes here guys um <laughs> renting apartments across the road from the garage were scoping the moran gang's activity out looking for trends in behavior and keeping an eye out for bugs yeah i'm totally there I'm totally get that yeah yeah so two cars arrive outside the garage at approximately 10 30 a.m february 14th 1929 the front entrance to the garage is locked or not being opened by whoever is inside so two men stay out the front by one car and three men get back into the second car to go around the back and try for entry. Yeah. This would explain why the tailor saw two men yeah. facing the garage and three men get in a car and drive off. Yeah. When a van comes along for entry to the garage at the rear, three men in the second car sneak in behind it with their guns drawn and have the gangsters and alike line up as if a police raid. They open the front entrance for the other two men waiting, waiting outside to enter and they spray their gunfire and make their getaway. Two uniformed men lead two other men out the front as if making an arrest, mm-hmm. while the fifth man get makes a getaway in the second car around the back. Okay. Either someone entering the garage was mistaken for bugs, most likely by the men in the apartment across the road, and the signal was given prematurely, or whoever ordered the hit knew what time they were all due to meet, but no one was keeping an eye on where bugs was. 
so they were unaware that his barbershop appointment ran late, causing him to miss the massacre by the width of a hair. Yeah, see, this is where That's I'm where he getting admit- a bit conspiracy, though, like... He said in prison a few years later that the the reason he wasn't there, the reason he got there just after it mm. happened, was because his barbershop appointment ran late. And isn't that just a bit suspicious, though? Because he's a suspect, right? He, he has been named at one mm. point as a suspect. So if it was him... But he's got his alibi, hasn't he? Don't he know why he's... Yeah, I know. But doesn't mean he didn't order it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why you would bump off your own gang members. Mm. But if, you know, it's just like a really... I'm not a big believer in coincidence. So it's a, it's just a little bit much for me to believe that he was running mm. late that day. Or maybe he runs late all the time. Maybe then, he's a Mills. I don't know. You've got the coincidence of both Moran and Capone. So one of them's a coincidence. Yeah. One of them. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be. Yeah. Unless, but, but, yeah, this is the thing. If Capone didn't want Bugs dead, then why would he do it when he knew Bugs was going to that appointment? Mm. Do you know, one, one of their alibis yeah. has to be coincidence. Yeah. And it, that's it, what makes it so interesting. It feels more to me that um, Capone's alibi is so tight that it kind of almost has to be set up. Mm. But if, you're, if you've employed the police... Or are they in cahoots? Who? Oh, the two gangs. Mm. Interesting. Maybe, maybe this is another conspiracy that I hadn't thought of. Maybe <laughs> Moran was like, I'm fucking, I might as well just join Capone. Maybe Capone gave him a good offer, but he knew that the Gusenbergs wouldn't adhere to it. Mm. And they were very notorious for being murderers, mm-hmm. um, but never actually caught for murder. Um, so maybe he was like, these people will not stand for it. So let's get them gone and let's... But then, di- but then, did he go on to be part of Capone's gang? I don't think so. Yeah. But maybe that's because it was such a high-profile case by that point. It was normal for people mm. to go and murder people, and nothing really happened. Yeah. But it became, it, like, say, it shook the nation. I don't mm. think any of them anticipated that. Mm. So, what is your summary? Oh well, everything you just said. Mm. Well, that yeah, that's right. That's what mm-hmm. happened. I agree. Totally, totally agree. Who do, do you, you mean... think it was? I don't think I don't think um, Bugs would be knocking off his own gang members. I'm not convinced about that one. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced about the you killed my kids, so now I'm going to kill all of these people. I think if you were going to do that, you'd just kill the one person and not risk an well, entire g- which, gang coming back. Which Gusenberg brother it was? Okay, well then you'd kill them too, then rather than you know Is it seven often victims. You get them both to get them. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm not buying that enough. one. Yeah, anyway. um, it seems likely to me that Capone's lot... Had involvement? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not. I'm a bit confused about the St. Louis um, connection, um, but it's undoubtedly that all gangs had some police on the payroll. Mm. I mean, that's pretty much a given, isn't it? Well, the the politicians at the time, um, one was sponsored by Bugs, one was sponsored by Capone. Yeah. So, yeah. That that tells you everything yeah. you need to know, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Probably why there was three investigative bodies. Yeah. But it hindered them, because they were all working against each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm thinking Capone's gang, potentially, mm-hmm. sponsored the hit... Um, yeah. They had police officers in those boarding rooms keeping tabs and surveillance, and then that guy, what was his name? Bolton. Bolton. Byron Bolton. Yeah, he was just like 
up there as well, like, right, tell us what you know then, what have you seen? So he's, like, is he part of Capone's lot? I, I, it's not clear. Right, okay. He's just a guy who came forward who was affiliated with... Okay. ...bootlegging yeah. and... Why Why did he confess, by the way? What, was it to get time off a sentence or something? I think so. I right. think it was cooperation. Right, okay. But it was, like, years later. I yeah. think they were starting to probe again into people and it, it was yeah. like, well... Capone's already in mm. prison. Mm-hmm. What can he really do to me? Yeah. So, and I think uh, you know Capone's alibi is just a little that little bit too watertight for me. Yeah. Not that I think he would have done the hit himself because unless he unless Bugs was there and he was you know but mm. you know he hires guys and they do it. But he knows that if he's got th- that watertight a alibi, then he can just be like. What are you gonna do? Though? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just that little bit me. too watertight for me, I think. So finally, I'll run through the little conspiracies, okay. and I've put the title "The Conspiracies I Came Up With" throughout writing this. <laughs> <laughs> Number one: Did Bugs actually order the hit? Was he sending his men to spy on those killed because the suspected uh, because he suspected an uprising or oh. mutiny? Maybe was he getting a bit older? And they were sort of trying to overthrow him. Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Number two. And you were like, nah, guys, watch me. I'll have, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Willie Marks, Bugs number two, did he arrange it? Was he getting jealous of the Gusenbergs, getting more respect and more responsibility and wanted them gone? Was he a vengeful character? So these are very much inside job conspiracies at the minute. Not always, but it was just as I was typing it, I was like, oh, maybe it was him, the saviour, isn't it? (laughs) He probably was a vengeful character, let's be honest, he's a gangster, but... Mm. Um, was it the police force doing it to frame Capone? Possibly. So, they were sick of being undermined, and when Hoover became president of the FBI, he pledged to crack the fuck down on gangster and criminal activity. So was this his doing to tear down the somehow good name of Al Capone? Maybe. Mm. Was it Police Sergeant Davin on duty that day? So the one, the father of the firefighter. Yeah. Was he on duty that day? Did he make sure that there was enough time given between the hit, the getaway, and the first police officer on the scene? Was he able to influence when the raids on the garages happened to allow time for the Cadillac to be destroyed? And did he plant the seed in someone's head that the second car was a ruse? Was Deputy Leslie Farmer in cahoots with Sergeant Davin? And that's how he ended up with the Tommy gun. Maybe. And finally, was Al Capone just simply that arrogant that he thought he'd get away with it and it was all just a dick-swinging stunt? That's for me. Let's be honest, it's probably the most likely. Mm. There, men. That, that's that. <laughs> <laughs> and time and time again. <laughs> it is the 20s. They prove themselves to be all about their dick size. Exactly. <laughs> it is the 20s, 100 years later, and I tell you, it's not gotten any better. <laughs> Now, what we can say for certain is that the glamorisation of crime died with those seven men. Oh. Al Capone's tight grip on Chicago had become nothing more than a limp handshake. (laughs) (laughs) And the entire nation was shaken to its core. It will forever be a shame that it had to go so far for authority to be properly established. And we won't go into how debatable that actually is. Uh But bottom line is, I'm just fucking buzzing that don't have to rub shoulders with millionaire murders to get a bloody bev. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's that. Absolutely. Well done. I do bloody love a true crime mystery. Mm. Yeah, I think, for me, I think it's sometimes the obvious answer is 
oh, the simplest answer is the most whatever. You know what I mean? Like, most... Yeah, most likely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most yeah. probable. Yeah. And then perhaps Bugs was supposed to be there and that obviously mm. got fucked up and maybe they did use actual police officers because they didn't seem to recognise anyone. They said the poli- the cops did it. Mm-hmm. They didn't say... Mm such a body I saw such a body here but then Gusenbergs had worked with William White before and he was the one with only three fingers yeah but he was the getaway driver so he was sat in the car yeah so obviously the Gusenbergs aren't gonna that mm. maybe that's why he was the driver yeah 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 maybe he maybe you're right in that he wanted to be involved when he heard that that was gonna happen mm Maybe he did help with the this police officer uniforms. They put like the word out, look, we need a couple of cops to help us with X, Y, Z. We're getting rid of these people. Yeah. And Sergeant um, Davin was like, fucking have me. I want to be he, in like, there. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, that would feel right to me. Like, you're a police officer um, working in probably one of the most corrupt times for law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine the word probably gets around like, oh yeah, 100%. we need we need a few guys for this. Yeah, you find out that these are potentially the people who killed your son. You'd be like, hundred percent, get, get me that. in. Yeah, he go use my badge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you want my hat? <laughs> <laughs> you can have everything. <laughs> Just make sure they're dead. Mm. But yeah, honestly, the the pictures. I'll show you the pictures in a second. They're, they're very very but it's old cameras so it's not quite as graphic as you'd think yeah. but it's very graphic i don't know how i feel about crime scene photos you know what i mean like i know like for a lot of true crime um podcasters or whatever they tend to look at the at the um crime scene photos so they can get a feel for it themselves but mm. oof, i don't know if I, Do you, if you don't want to say it, i think fine. i'm my constitution is that just a little bit too delicate for that oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be in the morning oh we're in the afternoon now. in the afternoon oh well it's fine then <laughs> Well, thank you for listening. And thank you for telling it. It was really good. That's okay. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it, my pretty. <laughs> we love you. Love you. Goodbye. Now you believe it. Now you believe it. The craziest thing that you'll ever hear. Now you believe it. Now you believe it. You believe anything after a bit.